Welcome to On Living, the Trauma and Beauty of Being Human with Dr. Leanne Nguyen. Have you ever asked yourself what it means to be human? What does it mean to be fully alive? What does it take to love, to really connect with another human being? How do we fully engage with and honor the humanity in us? It's time to really talk, listen to, and connect with one another. Come join in the conversation with your host, Dr. Leanne Nguyen. Good morning, everyone. This is Leanne Nguyen again. Hello again to some of you who joined me last week. And uh, welcome to those who are joining today into the conversation. Well, you know, at this point, it's not yet really a conversation. It's just still me making myself known to you. And uh, to some degree, I feel trying to convince you to converse with me. You know, uh, the idea of doing a, a radio talk show um, to me is is a lot of hubris to some extent. To take up one whole hour on the premise that you have something important or interesting to say, real to me, really requires um, a dose of narcissism. And that's why I have resisted blogging and getting on social media and writing my memoirs for this reason, because I do not want to be that obvious yet about my narcissism. But when the network contacted me, and I did ask them why, and they said something about being an expert, I have a reaction to being called on to be an expert. Now, I have often been called on uh, to serve as an expert in some legal arenas or some academic circles, and I certainly have been around many experts. Now, I welcome the label and the automatic permission and prestige sometimes that it confers me in federal courts when it serves the purpose of giving me credibility to advocate and fight for those who try uh, to get into this country. But otherwise, expert is an empty and at times dangerous label. When you present yourself as an expert, you accept the enormous responsibility toward the other person's hopes for answers and toward her wants for final or finite solutions. What is the foundation for that responsibility and what is your accountability as an expert? From my perspective, All that the expert reveals to you is her history and the extent of what she does not know. Every time that you announce what you know, you actually really just point to where you have been and you reveal what you don't yet know or didn't want to know. And if you listen closely to an expert, you actually find out more about her values, her life history, her purpose, her preoccupation. The expert including the one supposedly now talking to you. The expert says to you, this is what is important to me to know about. This is what I need you to know. So when you turn to an expert for answers and directives, you stop listening to your own answers. You stop asking your questions. You're really actually looking for validation When you look to an expert, you're looking for validation of what you already want or already know, but are afraid to follow on your own. Turn to me as the expert and you surrender your question. You abandon your own quest. Uh, Years ago, uh, I was invited to go on another mission uh, to Africa to go to Chad and the border of Chad and Sudan. Uh, to do some study in a refugee camp. Um, the backstory of how I ended up there is for another episode. But uh, my colleagues uh, were mostly quite envious. Um, they understood, I think, that I was heading into some unusual or extraordinary experience, and they envied me that special access. Well, it shows the extent of their naivete, you know. You do not envy a former refugee um, a trip back into the freaking refugee camp in the middle of the desert. Um, One particular colleague said to me, urged me before I left, it's an amazing opportunity. You should write about it. What did she think there would be to write about? What kind of expertise would I gain 
from going on such an experience. But what most puzzled me was the urging to tell the story, to narrate, to memorialize something that had not yet happened. More about telling stories later when I speak of the traumatized condition. So I'm hosting this radio show because of all the experiences that I have lived through, of all that I have come to know is true. Like you all, all of you right now listening, regardless of age, occupation, life experience, I know something because I have lived and have paid attention. But for all the reasons I explained earlier, I want to resist posing myself as an expert. I want to ask you to not listen to me as the expert. I think of this show as a tremendous opportunity to have a conversation about what matters to me. A conversation where it's not me dispensing expert knowledge, but where I can share my questions and reveal to you what I most want to know, what I have struggled with knowing. And that is, how do we live as human beings? What can we do? What are we to do with our nature, with our time, our brief, so brief time on this precious earth? What can we do that would do justice to our gifts, to our responsibilities that we have been given toward each other? Last week, I made the case for the merits of asking the question, what makes us human, so that we can live ethically, that was my position, so that we can do justice to our own humanity and cherish the humanity in others. Now, by the way, you should notice, we humans take ourselves ever so seriously, but ironically, we do not do justice to ourselves. Today, I'm going to take you through a landscape that I know well, the psychic landscape of the traumatized being. I want to do that as a way to explore an answer to the question about what is particular or what is particularly precious about being human. Now, why approach the, the, the answer through trauma, you may ask? Well, in dealing with trauma in my work, and a lot of it in my personal life as well, uh, because I'm from Vietnam, after all, I have gotten to see what gets broken down and degraded and stolen of a person's humanness. You know, we come into this existence, into this life, equipped to do certain things that ensure our survival. We come endowed with certain capacities and driven by certain impulses that push us to grow, that push us forward and toward each other. Some things are basic to all mammals. Some things are distinctly human. And these things are broken down and derailed when a person goes through and does not fully survive a trauma. So when I look at the state of being, of living as a traumatized person, I see the interruptions, I see the perversions of the things that we take for granted, the things that enable the rest of us, we lucky, quote-unquote, normal people, to be able to love, to think, to feel, to work, to live. By the way... Um, Feel free to join in with your questions and, and comments via email or the number that I think the announcer said at some point. Now, from last week, I had quite a few comments, and I do want to thank uh, many of you who took the time to uh, to let me know that uh, the, the time we had together held some value for you. I really appreciate it. One comment was actually a complaint about not having any way to connect with me. So, <laughs> fine, I will get on Facebook after today. I'll, I'll ask my babysitter, um, this brilliant college kid uh, from Haiti, to uh, set up an account for me. <clears throat> Another comment was uh, from my mother. She said, uh, what are you going to say about the human rights violations that are currently going on in Vietnam right now? Well, you want to know what makes us human? There you have it, the answer. Our mothers, 
<laughs> you want to know the truth to the human condition, you know, like you're approaching menopause, you've raised two kick-ass children, you have your work, you have your own freaking radio show, and your mother still says, what are you going to do that would be better? Um, I have to, you have to allow me this little tantrum. Um, there was one important question about my comment last week uh, about the 9-11 attack. And I wish to address that very important question. My comment, you know, was um, the now America knows uh, in reaction to the World Trade Center attack. The question from the listener was, uh, do you wish America harm? Were you glad that America was attacked? No, I was not. And no, I do not. I do, however, believe that there is an innocence, innocence that can veer into ignorance and at times arrogance, that comes with never having been invaded or violated on your own soil, never having been pushed down on your knees of sorrow and grief because your relatives have been blown apart or the roof of your house just got blown away, never having had to doubt your survival. There is a special knowledge that comes with such an experience. And with that knowledge comes a very particular ethics. And so, if you have never been in that place, you're innocent to what it's like to die, what it takes to come back from dying. And you are ignorant of your own wisdom and power. People who have endured and truly overcome trauma are capable of true power, of real kindness, of true deep joy. That was what I hoped for and wished for America on that day of September. There is a saying by the poet Rumi. Rumi was a Sufi mystic, a Persian poet and uh, Islamic scholar from the 13th century. But, you know, from here on, he may uh, be best be known as uh, one of Beyonce's twins, I was told from last year. The saying by Rumi from seven, eight centuries ago was, the wound is where the light enters. I saw a wounding on that day of 9-11, and I thought, now America knows what it's like to be wounded, to be afraid to fear annihilation and not know the answer right away, to have to turn inward and rely on others. Now, the light may enter in America and make her stronger, wiser, more beautiful. That's what I meant. But the light did not enter because we had bombings and invasions which led to Abu Ghraib and Guantanamo. And now we have King Twit as commander-in-chief down there in D.C., When you are wounded, something in you is cracked open. Life enters you when you're wounded. You make violent contact with life and with something fundamental about your life. In the being wounded, you reveal yourself. You find out something about yourself. You are confronted with your inside. Then you have to make that ethical existential choice about what to do with yourself, about how to inhabit the wound, how to let the light in, or whether to seal shut the opening, whether to turn away from your wound. I said last week, when speaking of kindness, that it takes enormous strength to stay with the wound, to stay awake and alive to one's woundedness. It takes enormous courage and skills to follow where the light enters. What can you learn from the crack? What knowledge do you earn? What strength can you gather to bear what you find out and to live out that knowledge as humanly as possible with kindness and tenderness? It is hard because it hurts to be wounded, to be confronted, for example, with the fact that life is inherently unpredictable and ruthless that people can be cruel, that other people's motives are uncontrollable, unfathomable, that you are helpless, unloved, hated, etc. Every time that there is a traumatic wound, there is an opening and a dismantling. And there is a chance for light to enter and connection to take hold and growth to proceed. As much as there is a chance for the other way, 
of darkness, of deadness. That is why I stress that kindness and tenderness are essential for us, the human community, to cultivate and to practice so that we can provide support, so that we can hold forth for the wounded among us the confirmation for that ethical choice to let the light enter. This is a show I hope for it to be an exploration of how we let the light enter. That choice is what makes us human. It's what separates us from animals. Whether we make that choice, how we live that choice is what distinguishes us from one individual to another. I see here a lot of, you know, waving and messaging from the engineer (laughs) that our time for this first segment is up. So let's take a break. All right. And uh, you will find me again in a few minutes. Bye bye for now. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Do you ever feel that you need to make changes but don't know how? Ever wish for someone who can help you find true purpose and make new choices? Dr. Nguyen is this person. Her passion is to help people bridge the gap between where they are and where they want to be. With Dr. Nguyen, you will enter a conversation that is unlike any other. You will make contact with yourself at a depth you never thought you could. You will give yourself an encounter with new thoughts, deep questions, and a renewed faith in your birthright to live the life you are meant to live. Dr. Nguyen's practice has been available to people from all over the world across cultures and identities. She has built it as a lighthouse and a safe haven to give the deep support and clarity so you can fulfill the promise that you once made to yourself to live your purpose. Whether you are in New York City or anywhere in the world, visit her at drleanne.com. You can also contact her for a free consultation in person or on Skype. The website again is drleanh.com. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Why? Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to On Living. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to ldnewin.phd at gmail.com. Now back to the show. Here again is Dr. Leanne Nguyen. All right. So that ethical existential choice to let the light enter. Now, I'm going to share with you what I know of the failure or the derailment of that choice in people who have been traumatized. First, we have to decide, determine, what do we call trauma? You know, it's a word that is much bandied about these days and can be very cheapened. Um, Trauma or psychological trauma in particular is a blow, an event, a blow that overwhelms, that dismantles the apparatus of being. It's more than a disaster. It's not just a bad, painful thing. A trauma has to be the thing, an experience that carries that element of unrecoverable violence, of being split open. A trauma is an experience that violates your sense of self, your assumptions about the world, that challenges and undoes what you know. 
it's an experience that brings you to the edge of annihilation, sometimes little physical annihilation, but also psychological, where what you believed in and were counting on gets ripped apart and ripped away. You know, the word trauma comes from the Greek word wound. Trauma is an experience that leaves a fissure. I love this word. It's, it's the nerd in me. Um, it, it's, you, you are left with a crack, a split that is irreparable and unbearable, a fissure. There is a before and an after, and the two are not reconciled. The before and the after cannot be sealed over easily. The difference between the two is intolerable, is murderously painful, is a burden that is unbearable to carry. What you find out during the traumatic experience, you cannot reconcile with what you knew about life, about yourself, about the world that you live in. Who you were before the experience has been changed and is unrecognizable, intolerable. What you assumed about life and people, you cannot easily ignore and cannot digest and integrate into your usual worldview. Now, what is typically frequently a traumatic experience when I speak of it from this angle, you know, is is violence or violent loss, violence or loss that is typically delivered through war or torture or rape, an assassination, divorce, um, an election (laughs) uh, or deportation or forced immigration. These experiences are traumatic because they crack open They rip apart notions of trust, love, mortality, the ability to comprehend another person and to communicate by relying on language and storytelling, the ability to take for granted the basic shared respect for human life and for the basic well-being of a human. These experiences are typical traumas. The things that I mentioned that they are typical traumas They are traumatizing because they rob the person of these things. By the way, there is a distinction between psychological and physical trauma, and I don't have the actual research findings to cite for you right now, but I would say from my experience that physical trauma, such as, you know, natural disaster or an accident, um, is easier to recover from than psychological trauma. Why is that? There are two fundamental, intrinsic things that you make contact with when you undergo a psychological trauma. One is you make contact with the other person's intentionality or motivation. You make contact, you find out something about his or her humanity or the corrupted version of it when you are being raped or tortured, for example. Number two, you make contact with your own mortality and vulnerability. Given that, psychological trauma is lethal because of the violence that inheres in the source of wounding, because the source of the wounding is another human being. And psychological trauma is hard to recover from because when you suffer a psychological wounding, the source of recovery has to be another human being. There is no getting around that. There are no pills, no programming, no vacation that you can take. It has to be another person. And this is where we get into trouble. This is why I stress kindness and tenderness. For the wounded among us, we have to make available, we have to be steady and generous in the holding, in the recognition of their woundedness. We have to practice and offer tenderness in order to remind a traumatized of what is human, what is possible, what is to strive for, what will allow her to be human again. Now, by the way, not everybody who is wounded ends up traumatized. Many people recover. Some fall on their knees and don't. The crucial element that separates those who make it out of hell and those who perish and become traumatized and live on as the walking dead is what happens to them in the aftermath of the blow. Whether and how you are tended to after you're wounded makes 
a difference. How you're received back into the normal intact world. That reception, that holding and recognition, the willingness of others to behold your wound, that makes a crucial, vital difference. How other people receive you, how they acknowledge your experience, how they tend to your crack, whether they're willing to see it, that reception, that act of witnessing, of welcoming back, of tending to, determines your fate after you're wounded. It determines whether the wound can become a scar or remains a a fissure, whether the crack can fill with light and lead to growth and transformation and back to life, or is sealed shut with fear and hate. What the wounding ends up doing to your being is a function of the ethical choice that you make about who you want to become, how you want to exist from there on. And therefore, it is a function, it is dependent on the support that you get from the human community. Hence, kindness. Hence, tenderness. When you don't get that support, you're on your own. You're left in the abyss, left with the terrible, unbearable knowledge that you don't know how to digest, with feelings that are unbearable and incomprehensible and that you do not know how to communicate, how to express. You do not know how to put these feelings, these emotions to use toward being creative, towards making genuine attachments. You are on your own. You live in the fissure and the fissure becomes you. It defines you. It inhabits you. You're no longer a human, but a ghost, a gaping hole, a robot, an empty shell or a walking dead. That is the state of living after trauma if you don't get the holding and kindness. Now, let me say a little bit more about the particular sort of experiential features of living in that state. First fundamental feature of trauma is isolation. Trauma isolates. The experience has pulled you apart and away from ordinary life. It throws you in a whole different universe. And you come back from it saying to yourself, I am alone in this. I know something that nobody else knows, that nobody else understands or shares. I cannot share this with anyone. I am not part of mankind. I'm not recognizable. My experience is not relatable. My pain is unacceptable. And so you stay silent and isolated and insulated. You don't tell your story because you have no faith in the possibility of being understood. You don't speak of your experience because of the slight chance of not being fully understood. What to all of us is a paper cut, you know, of not being fully understood would feel like another amputation to the traumatized person. We see here the faith that we all take for granted ordinarily when we speak to another person, right? We take for granted that we will be listened to and we go on the blind, simple, crazy faith that we will be understood by another human being when we say something. And if we are not fully understood, we can survive, we can get over it and we go on. And we accept the risk of not being fully understood for the chance of being heard and of connecting. But to the traumatized person, it is impossible to take that chance. I hear again and again the motto of never again. The justification of I can't afford to be rejected or misunderstood or hurt again. Now, there are traumatized people who do tell their story, but their telling is is rote and repetitive and one-dimensional. It's not meant to... um, is to truly share and reveal something authentic of their inside or to create something new or to invite you to make meaning together with them. It's meant to intimidate or alienate uh, or to confirm, to prove something that they already know and want to hold on to. It's, it's performative. It's not 
creative or, or dialogic. It's the same thing as being silent. So the story in the traumatized person stays unspoken, unshared, silenced. But the human impulse is that the story needs to be told. You know, cavemen drew scenes of the hunt on the rocks. We have deathbed confessions. We, we sit around campfire telling stories. Uh, we write novels. We blog. <laughs> Toddlers, my, my, uh, my, my three-year-old, saying, you know, look at me, look at me. And he would just name everything that, that he sees, you know. And then there's a truck and then the tree and then the kitty cat. And when you're so sick of it and you don't acknowledge, you know, he would just go on to the neighbor and grab her hand and say, Nevin, look at the truck and me, me, me. We humans do not give up on the need to tell about our experience. That is why childhood abuse, by the way, is so heinous with its injunction of you cannot tell. And that is why the post-traumatic injury of, of self-silencing is so sad and so insidious because the natural impulse to speak to another human has been derailed, has been snuffed out by fear and distrust and shame. So what does the isolated, traumatized person do to fulfill this need, this human need to tell about her story? The story has to be told. So you stage it, you enact it in scenarios that symbolically illustrate the wound, that repeat the trauma, that demonstrate to the world and confirm to yourself what you have found out in the traumatic experience. For example, a typical example is you repeatedly get yourself fired or arrested to confirm that you are misunderstood, underappreciated, that there is no place in the world for you. I had a patient once who came to me, two PhDs, had managed to get himself fired 25 times in one year. I didn't know what to do as, you know, 25 times, you know. Um, maybe you have to look at yourself. <laughs> or you repeatedly enter into abusive relationships to confirm the disappointing, exploitative, abusive essence, to you anyway, of human relationships. Or you sabotage your relationships in order to confirm that you're not meant for happiness. Um, you know, the the... the, the the novelist Juno Diaz wrote a piece about his childhood um, rape in The New Yorker a few weeks ago that, um, that showed his pattern. <clears throat> or you pick fights in order to be beaten up to a pulp. Or you engage in prostitution to show the story of being exploited and vilified. In other words, you engage in situations that enact the wound, that invite or repeat the wounding, that brings you in contact with the world in a violent, non-creative way. Why? So that you get to confirm that loss is your fate, that life is meaningless, that you're alone and unlovable, that people are not deserving of your faith. That is why kindness and tenderness can break the cycle and help keep the wound from being reenacted, to help keep the self-wounding from being perpetuated. You see in this repetition, compulsion, and self-silencing a tremendous degree of agency. The person is not passive. Now, we humans were all always doing something with ourselves, always acting on the world in some way, always expressing, continually expressing something about our life, about ourselves. What you see in a traumatized person is a misapplication of this life force, a perversion of this agency. The urgency to speak, the creativity and intentionality in living are devoted towards confirming an old knowledge, toward collecting injustice and hurt, towards denying the possibility of connection and growth. The purpose is to confirm, not to create meaning. The agenda is to protect oneself from life, not to connect to life, not to open yourself up to life. Curiosity, desire, faith are not permitted in the traumatized person because these things expose you 
to the risk of disappointment, betrayal, abandonment, wanting life, desiring another human being, that's dangerous because it brings you back to the edge of loss, to this place of not having control. To the traumatized person, the story has been written. There is no new meaning that is desired or attempted. No new encounter is possible or welcome. The concern is to restrict, to control meaning, not to invite another person into discovering or creating together a new meaning with you. So the person gives up on living creatively and on engaging intimately. His purpose is to seal himself off from life so as to not get hurt again. His focus is to hold on to what he already knows about life in that crack. He knows that life is terrifying, is not controllable, is full of injustice and loss, that relationships can threaten his survival rather than being a bridge to life, to something bigger than himself. To the traumatized person, life is not an open sea, you know, to to swim in and to let it carry you to new shores. It's a monstrous, terrifying beast to hide from. The effort in living is to keep himself sealed off from life and to make yourself untouchable. I see here you know we should have a whole segment on time i see here that i have only a few seconds left let me pause here and when we come back let me say a few things to you about the sense of being untouchable i'll be back soon Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Do you ever feel that you need to make changes but don't know how? Ever wish for someone who can help you find true purpose and make new choices? Dr. Nguyen is this person. Her passion is to help people bridge the gap between where they are and where they want to be. With Dr. Nguyen, you will enter a conversation that is unlike any other. You will make contact with yourself at a depth you never thought you could. You will give yourself an encounter with new thoughts, deep questions, and a renewed faith in your birthright to live the life you are meant to live. Dr. Nguyen's practice has been available to people from all over the world across cultures and identities. She has built it as a lighthouse and a safe haven to give the deep support and clarity so you can fulfill the promise that you once made to yourself to live your purpose. Whether you are in New York City or anywhere in the world, visit her at drleanne.com. You can also contact her for a free consultation in person or on Skype. The website again is drleanh.com. Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition, and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts. We'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to On Living. 
To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to ldnewin.phd at gmail.com. Now back to the show. Here again is Dr. Leanne Nguyen. All right. I was introducing the notion of being untouchable, the sense of the traumatized person as being untouchable. And that's another key and very poignant legacy of trauma. The traumatized person is un, feels like or is untouchable in, in two ways. One is, you know, the sense of, of what we mean by the, with the Indian caste of being relegated to a particular caste, class of people, of being damaged, undesirable, fated to be banished. This sense of being untouchable and undesirable is sadly often justified by actual encounters with a society nowadays who cannot, does not know how to tolerate grief or terror or vulnerability, who does not know how to speak to helplessness, who does not provide the language for deep fear, for deep neediness, for the experience of dying. We turn away from the grief-stricken, from the wounded, from the needy, the dying, don't we? We don't know how to, we don't want to touch them, be around them. I can put my kids through college if, you know, I collect $100 every time that a patient who has gone through a divorce or something, uh, some terrible loss tells me, you know, everybody wants me to be on medication. They are sick and tired of seeing me. Hence, the sense of being untouchable when you have suffered a violent loss, when you grieve, when you lose grip of your humanity. And that is why I plead for kindness and tenderness. By the way, I'm not advocating here for empathy. There's a lot of importance nowadays particularly in schools also with all the bullying and violence that our children go through, a lot of importance placed on empathy training, on emotional intelligence. That I know how to recognize your pain, to feel your pain, means nothing if I do not do the ethical thing with that knowledge, with that recognition. Empathy training is meaningless if we do not know, we do not learn or practice how to transform it, how to train it into kindness. There is another way, another sense in which the traumatized person is untouchable. She makes herself untouchable. She makes herself unreachable, inaccessible, sealed off from people, from life, from herself. She makes herself untouchable vis-a-vis people by isolating herself, by not speaking, not showing any vulnerability, anything personal. The drawbridge of language, attachment, and feelings has been pulled up and put away. She makes herself untouchable towards life by closing off meaning-making, by refusing encounters, by spurning creativity and joy. She makes herself untouchable towards herself, by shutting off, turning away from her feelings, by killing off her curiosity about life, about people, by denying or numbing her desire. She does not allow herself to be curious because the process, the experience of discovering, of of wanting to know of another human being would be too painful and too risky. She does not allow herself desire because the experience of desiring someone, something, the act of wanting would threaten her with losing control, would bring her in closer contact 
with another person and thereby would put her at the mercy of that human being. It would bring her in contact with joy, but also sorrow, with love, but also with grief, with triumph, as well as loss, with pleasure, but also pain. Such is life, and the traumatized person has to make herself untouchable by these things. And so she makes herself not human. She deadens herself to desire, to life. She turns herself into a ghost, a being that is either, quote, superhuman or is, quote, just existing. These are the two, these two phrases are the two announcements as solutions that I hear so often among my, the people that have been traumatized, that I have the, the enormous responsibility and privilege to try to listen to. They all say either, I want, I try to be superhuman, or I am just existing. You know, the real, the tragedy, the real cost of trauma the most insidious, costly legacy of torture, of war, is this thing of turning human beings into the walking dead, you know, of, of convincing, imprinting on people the, the merits of not living. By the way, if you want to see, there was a movie a couple of years ago called Manchester by the Sea uh, with Casey Affleck and Michelle Williams uh, about this man who went out for a walk at night one night after having put on a fire in his house for his wife and three children and come back and find a house burned down and the three children dead um, and just then proceeded to live in this state that I have been describing to you. And and there was one scene that personifies, that illustrates this sense of making himself untouchable when his ex-wife, who had been able to recover and moved on, um, you know, ran into him and, and wanted to talk to him um, and, and, and have something, again, with him of a friendship, of, of something human. And she reached out at some point to touch his hand and he shrinks away. It's just like being electrified, you know, and that captures so poignantly what I see all the time, the terror of being loved, of being touched again, because once you had had, had stolen from you in such a violent way. <clears throat> and so... By chance, if by chance and if by, by luck or by back-breaking work um, or, or through love, the ghost, the living dead, returns to flesh and bones and is willing to become human again, then I always, always hear the wrenching cry of, I can't bear to be alive. It hurts to want again. It's so hard to be human again. Because indeed, it is hard to do all of these things, you know, being curious, seeking love, speaking, creating, learning, enduring loss, getting attached at the risk of losing it, getting betrayed, resisting hate. Indeed, life is unpredictable and full of loss and risks. Just think back to how we all started out in life right we come out and then there's a whack <laughs> a whack and then you know a pause everybody holds their breath and then we scream we're only officially declared born and alive and good to go only after we let out that scream the scream that confirms that we did feel the pain and that we are willing to fight on to hang on after that that beautiful wrenching process, that sequence, is interrupted when you are traumatized. If you're lucky, you take one step after that scream, you take one step and you fall on your butt. But life pushes you forward. You have some faith. 
The desire to go forward pushes you up from the ground. It makes you accept the risk of stumbling again. And if you're lucky, there is somebody there nearby. If you're lucky, you fall into soft, steady arms. Or if you fall and you look up and you look around and you see a kind face and words of encouragement, you see something human and kind, and that helps you recover the faith, that helps you be willing to stumble forward again toward the flower bed, to the mud with the ball, the blue ball in it. And then you discover the slide and then the ice cream truck. (laughs) And if luck continues, you find a loving hand of your mother or your father, of a teacher, of a neighbor, and you keep going. And after all that stumbling, which is life, you, you make a friend. And by then, you learn that it's okay to say, look at me, help me, play with me. I want to see more. I want to be more. And then you go on. And what I've been trying to say and to show to you today is that among those of us who have been wounded, that sequence is not possible. But that sequence to me has shown to me something about what it means, what it takes to be human. Um, Next week, I will not be on my own. I will continue this exploration with a guest. He is um, a person, he's someone that I used to work with um, in, in, in treatment we met about 15, 16 years ago, and we worked together for a while. Um, Julian comes from Argentina and is somebody who had known a lot of terrible and terrifying things. Um, so he has agreed, well, he has known and has struggled so hard for a way to bear all the terrible knowledge to inhabit the wound in his life. Um, We stopped working together uh, quite a few years ago and have remained in touch. And I have um, kind of occasionally found out about all the human, beautiful human things that he has come to to, to do now. And he's agreed very graciously uh, to join me in the conversation. Uh, to explore together and to share with us about his own project of becoming human. So that will be next week, Thursday, 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. in New York, Eastern Standard Time. And until then, I wish you lots, lots of sunlight and lots of kindness to each other. Bye-bye for now. Thank you for tuning to On Living, the trauma and beauty of being human. Please join Dr. Leanne Nguyen again next Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And enjoy being alive.